At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The most important things when my kids have, have told me the most important moments for them have been when I have come into their world. So I've come into their room and laid on their floor next to their dirty socks and said, how are you? What's going on? Tell me what's going on for you today. And I want to be a part of who they, what's going on in their world. I come in without an agenda, a prescribed agenda, but really just understanding who they are in that moment, what they need from me, what how they feel about being in the world on that particular day. And I do that on with my kids. I did it on a daily basis. I would check in with them at certain points in time, not only when I was angry with them or they didn't do a chore or they were in trouble, but really in a very neutral, very um, calm and neutral time. I would just want to be in their world and make an effort to see them um, in, in a very organic way. This is Dr. Lisa Bravo, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We're going to go and do something a little different today, but I have a feeling that a big portion of you guys are going to like it, and it has to do with parenting. We have talked a lot about parenting. We've talked a lot about getting kids into the outdoors, the importance of getting kids into the outdoors, the importance of trying to get them off their devices, maybe the importance of, of just connection, family connection, whether that's between you and your wife, you and your kids. And uh, we always try to kind of gravitate to the kids because on Saltwater Experience, I don't know if you've noticed, you probably have, but there's an underlying theme of getting kids into the outdoors, getting our own kids into the outdoors, raising them with this fishing, outdoor, adventure type lifestyle that all is about family. And uh, Dr. Lisa Bravo has written a book called The Bravo Effect. And she has some really good information, suggestions uh, based upon her work as a family therapist and how she has helped to parents to deal with extreme situations. And my experience is that if you can deal with extreme situations, you can deal with regular situations pretty well. And um, so I wanted to get her on the show and just kind of talk about the state of our kids right now and our relationships and coming off of COVID and all these, all these changes that are in the world um, and how that relates to our relationship with our children, um, what what social media, what the internet, what video games, what they are doing to our children, both good and bad, and how we can, you know, not place taboos on certain things, but how we can learn to navigate as parents in this world that includes video games and social media and the internet and lots of distractions and lots of things that make kids really not necessarily want to go outside and how we can make sure that we're doing the best job of parenting that we possibly can to grow healthy children in both mind, body, and spirit. And also, you know, just, just to have a healthy relationship with our kids. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today with Dr. Lisa Bravo. She's coming up next. If you like this podcast, please share it with others that you know that may like it too. Some of your some of your buddies that have have kids, uh, you know, that you fish or hunt with. Some of uh, your social media followers. That would be awesome. Put it on your social media. Um, this one is a powerful episode, and I think that that uh, I know that I got a lot out of it. I hope that you will as well. Um, but if you like it, share it. And if you have any questions or you want to talk about the episode, you can text 305-930-7346. That is the number where you can reach me all the time. It's the text for the show. So you can send your, your show suggestions, your guest suggestions, your comments, your questions, whatever you can send to that number. And uh, I'll be glad to hear from you. So that's the way to get in touch with me. If you like this 
show, please rate and review it. Review it. It's easy for me to say. Rate and review it on iTunes. That goes a long way to getting us more listeners and ranking higher so more people can find the show. And that's awesome because we want the show to be super popular so that we can continue to do it and get better and better guests every time so we can bring you better and better shows. So you can help us. We'll help you. And that is the way the world goes around. So uh, Dr. Lisa Bravo is coming up. I really hope you like this show. Let me know if you do. And uh, all the best to all of you in your parenting endeavors. As a parent of three, I know it can be challenging even on the best days. It can also be the most or it is the most rewarding um, part of my life. And, and something that was, when, I was, when I wasn't a parent, I had no idea even existed now, as a parent of three, uh, man, I, I listen to any, anything I can to, to help me be better at it. And this podcast may just be one of those things. So anyway, Dr. Lisa Bravo coming up right now. Dr. Lisa Bravo, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you got a lot of interesting things going on. You got the new book. You've got your whole career of, of helping people. How's the book going? It's actually going great. Uh, we launched it in um, April and it hit number one bestseller on Amazon in the first week. And um, it's been really um, well received. I think it's a really important topic, especially post pandemic and with everything going on with teenagers today. Right. Well, I have some of my own. I'm through some of the teen years. I still have some behind me. I have a 23 year old, a 21 year old and a 17 year old. So I uh, know just enough about parenting to be dangerous. I think I've learned a little bit more from each child. I tell my, my poor oldest son, he's like, well, you never let, you never let me do those things that you're letting the other ones do. And I was like, man, we, honestly, we had no idea hey, what we were doing. The first one out of the barrel has it the hardest. <laughs> I know, but I'm, I'm, I, I try to be really honest with him. I'm like, listen, man, we really didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea. We were literally hacking our way through the jungle with a machete with you. With your brother, right. we knew a little bit more. And with your mm -hmm. sister, we know a little bit more. If we were to have another one, we would know a little bit more. But literally every day of his life as the oldest child was a new frontier. Like we right. had never seen that. We had never experienced that. And here we are right now getting ready for my daughter to go to college next year. And the empty nest syndrome is real. Um, mm -hmm. That <laughs> we're, we're, yep. we are dealing with that here at my house, uh, preparing for that. Yes. And uh, that's, that's, um, I don't know. It's you, you. How many children do you have? I have two children. Um, one is 25 and one is 23. So okay. they're kind of past that, you know, <laughs> uh, that kind of squirrely teenager stage. But they're also, I think I've, I've found in my practice, at least over the last several years, that teenagers um, tend to, that kind of that adolescent stage has shifted to a little bit later. Um, so I think, you know, you know, you hear that expression that 40 is the new, is the new 50 and 30 <laughs> is the new 20. I really think that kids, it, you know, young adults, a lot of them really do present a lot like older teenagers used to 20 years hmm. ago. Why do you um, think that is? Well, I'm seeing a lot more emotional immaturity and um, not quite as much 
you know, developmentally, I'm seeing lots of delays in their social and interpersonal skills. And I think a lot of that has to do with the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to kind of steep themselves in deep conversations anymore. Everything's very superficial. It's very immediate gratification on the internet. If you don't like this person, you just swipe and get rid of them and you move on to the next friend group. So there's, I'm not seeing a lot of like people having to kind of use the the grit and resiliency it takes to be in really intimate relationships. Hmm. Um, And I think that's affecting our teenagers in negative ways. That's interesting that you, you, you bring grit into intimate relationships. Like, I don't know if I ever thought about it like that. I've certainly read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit and um, and Mindset by Carol Dweck. And those are two of my favorite books. But mm-hmm. I don't know that I really thought about grit in that way. Like I, I immediately gravitate to athletics and, and, and like hard work and things like that. But there is a tremendous amount of grit in a relationship. I mean, it's very, maybe even more so than anywhere else. Like it's really easy to give up. It's really easy just to just to not go down that road, you know, but I never thought about it like that. You're, and you're saying um, that you're not seeing grit from the young people like that in the interpersonal relationships specifically. And I think it's very difficult for them to kind of dig deeper too, because their peers are also in the same sort of you know, genre where they can swipe left too when it gets too hard and they can delete people and they can move on. So, you know, I think teenager, it's very hard for them to be vulnerable, first of all. And then when they are, they're also at the mercy of the other person. So um, there's, it's, it's such a um, precarious place that they are. Um, I, I think also, you know, they're exposed to so much from such an early age. Um, I, we know now that um, teenagers are, um, their first experience with pornography is 10 years old. Wow. So if you think about that, they have this very unrealistic viewpoint and they have access to things we never had access to as, as children. Um, and they have to navigate and understand which part of its reality and which part of it isn't real. And I think it's, it's very hard for them to define those lines if they don't have a lot of grounding in their home life or um, with, among their peer group. So how do you how do you reinforce that grounding in, at home? Like, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great question, Tom. I think, you know, the the American family has changed exponentially <laughs> over the last several years. Um, and I, I know that the pandemic brought a lot of hard times to a lot of people, but I also think there was a silver lining for some families in that for the first time in a long time, they had to sit together and figure out how to be together and have conflict that they had to work out together. And, you know, there was nowhere to go. They had to, you know, figure out how to be families again. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time, you know, we saw all those videos of people making bread together and learning how to cook <laughs> and all of those things that that we sort of like took for granted, I think, as a culture that we didn't have to do those things. That was just, um, you know, something we didn't have time for it. Yeah. And when busyness was taken away, that layer of busyness, I think there were a lot of families that you know, it was kind of do or die time for them. They either, you either sunk or swim. And I'm seeing lots of that. I'm seeing families that have come out with a lot of resilience and, 
and um, a renewed sense of their family. And then I'm seeing families that are going through divorce now. Mm. So I think this was this last year has been really, um, really telling in terms of understanding where your family is from a mental health standpoint and a, and a stress um, tolerance standpoint. Yeah. One of the things that happened in our industry of the outdoors and fishing was that um, just like you said, there is a silver lining. Um, just two years ago, we were thinking, how do you, how do you get young people to go fishing? Because fishing is like a, it's like a pass down type thing. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not a lot of kids are just deciding that they want to go fishing and just getting into it by themselves or, you know, on their own. Sometimes that happens and that's great when it does, but a lot of times it's a, it's a grandfather or, or a parent that, that teaches Mm -hmm. someone or a mentor or uncle or aunt or a neighbor or somebody's teaching something and passing it down. And then when the pandemic hit, we have had a record number of, of people going outside right now. There are a record number of new anglers, a record number of new hunters, and a record number of new people getting out to kayak and hike and backpack and do things that weren't even on the radar a few years ago. In fact, it's hard to buy a boat right now. And it's hard right. to it's hard to buy um, you know, tents and backpacking supplies. And so I see that as something that's been really really good that comes out of it. But I can also see how, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people have had a really rough time. Um, but one of the things that your book, I, I read the first chapter of your book, which was really interesting. I wish I had gotten to read the whole thing before the interview, but uh, it, it'll be a learning process for me. Um, it, it, it's interesting that your your book right now, when it comes out, is kind of about what you're calling extreme teens, extreme situations to where um, your, your parents are, are able to reconnect with kids that there's this disconnect um, going on. And maybe the pandemic was an opportunity or maybe post-pandemic is a great opportunity. I think that it, 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 it obviously is something that people need if your book skyrockets to the top of the, of the list. But what do you think about um, like that idea of getting outside and reconnecting with your kids outdoors. Um, is that, is that part of the the plan? Absolutely. I think, you know, connection is a vo- very organic thing. You know, in my office, it's not organic. It's usually kids being drug in on the heels of some version of a crisis. And they're sort of kind of forced to kind of figure this thing out together. Um, but I think when we can find really organic ways to connect with our teenagers, especially, Um, It's really important. And I think parents of teenagers are often under the impression that our teenagers don't want to be around us. And I think that is a misconception. I think every teenager that I have met, every single one has a desire to be seen and loved and understood. And so if we can figure out how to connect with them in a way that is really like, um, intimate and at the core of who they are, they are so much better off moving forward. Um, Being outdoors is a great, great um, way to accomplish that. And don't expect your teenagers to say, when you say we're going fishing and camping over the weekend, don't expect them to jump (laughs) up and down and and clap and be so excited. 
you know, expect them to be upset about it. Expect them to be resistant. Expect them to not want to go. Expect them to be upset because they can't bring their phone or their phone's not going to work. All of that is part of the process of getting away and unplugging. But our teenagers don't know how to unplug. We are very poor role models for teaching our children how to unplug. And so I think doing that is there, there is, you know, we know in the brain, the way the brain works that these devices, when they, when they're online, it triggers the part of their brain that is the reward center of the brain. So they, they physiologically and biologically are going to have a shift in the chemicals in their brain that make them feel good. So they will feel actual clinical depression being pulled away from those devices. And you just need to know that's part of it. And think about it like detoxing from a drug. They're going to be crabby and difficult for a few days, and then they'll adjust. And then they're going to come out of their shell and start talking to you and tell you what's going on in their lives. And it's a great opportunity for, for parents and for kids, as long as your expectations are, are appropriate. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I've certainly, I've certainly seen and experienced exactly what you're, what you're talking about. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's this big drag, but, and that's where I think that the parents' expectations or, or, or maybe it's the, somebody else's expectations. Maybe it's the friend, maybe it's the uncle, maybe it's whoever is, is taking them on this excursion. But at the very beginning where they're, you know, they're kicking and screaming and they don't want to go, it's pretty easy at that point to kind of be like, well, this is going to be the worst weekend of our life. And Mm -hmm. for the parent to adopt that, which, you know, that's not really why you're going right. Like how does a parent navigate that when the kid is just not at all interested in being there or seemingly maybe they just, just like you're saying, they just haven't, they just haven't reset the chemicals yet. And so how long, or how does a parent kind of navigate that? Well, I think first is knowing like anticipating that's how it's going to (laughs) be. I think when parents have this expectation that the kids are going to pack the car and thank you for bringing them and, and be so excited about getting up at six o'clock in the morning, that's when we as parents get really disappointed. (laughs) And that's when we fall apart because our idea of what's going to happen does not match the reality of what's going to (laughs) happen. So I think part of it is not being attached to the outcome of what it looks like, but understanding that it's going to be bumpy. You know, it's a new process for your child. They're they're not used to being alone with you. They're not used to having to, you know, interact in this intimate way. And it makes them uncomfortable. It doesn't feel natural or normal to them. And so part of it is understanding that as the parent, it's sort of like if you have a toddler and you bring them to school for the first time. And then you're upset because they have a meltdown when you leave. I mean, most parents are prepared for this kid's going to have a meltdown. They're not going to be comfortable. And we know that's part of the process. So I think with um, when we bring our teenagers out into the wilderness for the first time, they're going to be uncomfortable. They're out of their element and they don't feel in control of anything. But I do know the, the best The best part of being outdoors, at least for my, especially my son, but both of my kids was being able to light the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That is the best part of camping, hands down for, they still talk about, you know, being around the fire pit and all the time we spent, 
you know, building the fire and being around that version of danger. I think it's, that was exciting for them. Yeah. But there's something else that goes on there that, that we've lost touch with and, and, uh, certainly happened much more when we, when we lived in a more outdoor culture. I mean, fire was a part of life. And like, even right. when, when, when I was a guide out in Wyoming and I, Idaho, we would do a tremendous number of overnights. And the mm-hmm. first thing that you would do is start the fire. And then everybody would end up sitting around the fire. You're staring into this fire. And if you're not staring into this fire, you're having a conversation with everyone around you. And if you're not doing that, you're staring at the stars. Right. And those are three things that are really missing from a lot of people's lives now sitting around a campfire, which right. I kind of think of this podcast as sitting around a campfire. And that was the idea. We used to have the greatest conversation sitting around these campfires, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just, just talking. And you would end mm-hmm. up talking about things that you never thought you would end up talking with about, you know, with these people that you just met that day and you've had this great day with them, but you're sitting around this campfire and it can be the same with your children. I think of, of, you know, there's something about that fire though. It's like, it's like, it's almost like a, um, a meditative state or, yeah, or, that's what it's like a moving meditation yeah. with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is interesting to see kids that are uncomfortable with the outdoors and then you see this kind of transformation to it, but then you can mm-hmm. also see these kids where you take them outdoors and they get away from their phone and, and whatever chemical resets and it is so not, now they're dirty. They are rolling in the mud. They are playing in the stream. They are having the greatest time ever. And mm-hmm. they didn't even know that was missing from their life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, really it interesting. Opens, it like removes a veil and it also teaches them competence. It teaches them that they can get through things. It teaches, you know, when a kid can start a fire, (laughs) I I work with so many kids that come out of wilderness therapy. Why do you think that is such a successful, they have some of the highest successful rates with teenagers is wilderness therapy because they get out and they, they learn to depend on themselves and rely on themselves in a way they've never had to before. And they learn a sense of competency that they didn't ever have before and success and self-control and all of those things that we, we try to instill in them, but we just scratch the surface with them in terms of what they need on a pretty, pretty generally speaking, but I think it's a pretty consistent problem that we see. It's interesting that they have such a, 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 a big a high success rate with, with wilderness therapy. And I'm thinking it's probably like a, an hour bound or, or some type of program mm-hmm. like that, where you're taking the kids out and, and making them fend for themselves. But you know, when you, when you compare that to the helicopter parenting and just, just coddling your kids and being just, just trying everything you can not to, you know, to, to smooth the road out for them. So they never have a skin knee and, 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 and then, what really works though is exactly the opposite, which is what you're saying is that this wilderness therapy and letting them go out there and fend for themselves is where they start to really thrive. What kind of lesson can you take that back to parents that, you know, don't have a kid that necessarily needs wilderness therapy? They're not, they're not that, well, I think every kid needs wilderness therapy personally, that from my perspective, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. when, when a kid hasn't had this big crisis, you know, they're a pretty good kid They're Everything's going pretty well for them. But what, where's the lesson where you see that kids thrive outdoors, you know, when they're having to fend for themselves and how do you apply that to regular parenting? 
Well, I think I think part of it is like you were saying, I think there's so many parents that are so afraid to let their kids struggle and they're so afraid to let their kids, you know, suffer or go without or feel like they can't or fail. You know, uh, kids don't we don't allow our children to have any failures. I have so many parents that you know, they expect that their kids get A's. Period. You know, C is an average. C is the middle, right? But if every child gets an A, that it's impossible statistically that your child every child is going to get straight A's. But we have these these expectations of our children that are unreasonable. And then our kids try try to meet those expectations. And when the bar is set too high, they just don't even try to jump over it anymore. Yeah. And I I think that building teaching kids how to lit how to be uncomfortable in healthy ways, how to be how to fail and fail forward in healthy ways teaches them resiliency and teaches them that it gives them the ability to know that they can start over and they can they can move forward even when they hit a speed bump. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of a lot of parents that are they're so afraid because I think they they also get inundated with all this information and all these scary statistics about teen suicide and depression and anxiety, and they don't want their kid to become a statistic. So it comes from a really, really good place in their hearts that it comes from good intentions. But what happens is we when we over parent and when we hover in the ways that that we've learned to do as parents, our children don't learn how to fail forward and they don't learn how to start over. And um, that's detrimental to them in the long run. And when it gets really scary, Tom, is when they go away to college, Mm. right? You have college age kids. When kids flounder and they're not under our roofs anymore and they have a driver's license and a credit card and they have the influence of all these people we don't even know, that's when it gets really scary. I always tell parents when their kids are struggling in the younger adolescent years, 14 to 18, I'm that that is the best time for them to struggle right. because they have parents and they have guidance and they have the ability to oversee the parents have the ability to oversee what's going on with their kids and they can connect with them and teach them lessons along the way. Yeah. And it's like older, a safe, it's a, it's a safe scary. place to fail. Like, mm-hmm. you know, right. like, I don't know. I mean, that's what's the way an athletic field is, is, is it's a safe place. You, you lose a game. Okay. So you lost a game. So you're the one that dropped the ball and, and, and lost the game. Okay. Well, is there a lesson right. there, you know, and, and, but, but you don't even want to see, you don't want to see your, your child do that. But that is the best place for them to do that. You know what you're talking about with the with the A students and all of the expectations and stuff. That was a huge takeaway that I took from from uh, mindset. The book Carol Dweck, it being mm-hmm. that C students failed all the time. You know, D students they failed all the time. So risk was not every day was a risk. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know right. how to do this, so I'm going to try to do it and uh, failed again. Where the A student. The, the super A student that was told their whole life how smart they are and how good they are and how they're going to go to, you know, Yale or Harvard or whatever, and they're going to be a doctor, whatever they want to do. They were so afraid to take any risk because it might expose them as something that they were told that, that you know, that they, that they weren't what they were told. Like everybody mm-hmm. has told them that they were so smart. And, and the, the takeaway there for the parenting, for my own parenting was, you know, reward the kid for hard work, not, mm-hmm. not 
you know, don't tell them how smart they are. Like, right. You know, that made a big difference in, in my own. Right. Kids. There are a lot of smart kids that don't know how to be successful. Right. See students mm -hmm. run the world sometimes or a lot of the world, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's funny though, how that happens because it that, that's not what they tell you is going to happen in, in, in high school. You know, right. you know, if you get a C on this class and this test, you know, you'll, you know, that's going to have, you know, horrible effects on the rest of your life where actually it has almost zero effect on the rest of your life. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's real interesting. And, and I think that you're, you're definitely touching on a, on a, on a topic that a lot of people are, are wrestling with. So I'm curious, like your, your practice and how you kind of um, evolve this, what you're calling the Bravo effect. Like, can you tell us what the Bravo effect is and what your, what your philosophy on, on, on all of this is and what kind of where your book is? Sure. Well, um, just to give you a little bit of a thumbnail, um, I am a family therapist. So I, I do, my background is working with um, families primarily, but I, um, you know, specialize in working with teenagers. Um, and the Bravo effect was written just in response to give providing, I really wanted to provide parents with a very simple framework for applying how to evaluate where your relationship is with your child at any given time. And so um, BRAVO stands for behavior, relationships, attitudes, values, and opportunities. And so when you're looking, the first thing that gets our attention as parents is always behavior, right? We see certain behavior that makes us angry or frustrates us or scares us, and that's what gets our attention. But if we just... Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com discipline the behavior or we just react or respond to the behavior, we're really not getting beneath it to understand what's going on. So what's beneath that behavior is where am I in relationship with my child right now? Are we connected? Are we disconnected? Is there tension? Is there conflict? What is the nature of our relationship right now? What is, what is my child's attitude about what's going on right now? What is my attitude about my child? What is our attitude together? What are we co-creating? So understanding that dynamic of what attitude or what position we're taking in that moment is really important. Lots of times teenagers can take a very, what we think is a disrespectful attitude, but if we really understand what's going on beneath the surface, maybe they're just being really passionate mm -hmm. about what they believe in. Maybe they're just really, really you know, want the outcome to be something that it isn't. And they're they having a hard time expressing that. 
lots of times when kids are in conflict, a lot of it has to do with poor communication. So um, a lot of what we do within the relationship, um, what I talk to parents about is really like, what is, how is the communication? Is it, is it, um, you know, part of it has to do with the parenting style, Part of it has to do with connection, but what what type of communication are you having with your child? Um, you know, when when we have kids who are acting out, we tend to try and pull rank on them and become the authoritarian, and that's not always the best way to handle things. Sometimes it's better just to like like as like we were talking about earlier, just go outside and go for a walk. And um, we do know, especially with boys, there's actual um, brain studies that show that when boys are face to face with you and um, teenage boys, that their testosterone levels spike Mm. because they're looking for conflict. But when you're walking next to a teenager who's in conflict, they're not as triggered. And so um, how you position yourself, especially fathers with their children and their teenage boys, if you position yourself walking next to them, driving in the car, those are the best times to have conversations with your teenager. Not when you're face-to-face and toe-to-toe and both of you are have your fists clenched because you're angry. That is not when your children are the most receptive. So trying to find those times where communication is the most optimal is, is the best way to handle it in terms of um, connection. So then after we understand kind of what attitude or position our child is holding in that moment, we try to understand what they're valuing, what I'm valuing in that moment. Maybe I want them to be respectful and they're being disrespectful, right? Or I see their behavior as disrespectful. Maybe they're valuing, you know, um, loyalty to a friend because they're not giving up. They're not Mm. telling you what they did with, they're not giving you names of people, Hmm. you know, maybe we can look at all angles of it and understand what's really motivating their decision in that moment. And then we can find opportunity. The last letter um, is O for opportunity. There is an opportunity in every moment, even the most dire moments, there's an opportunity. And if we can find that opportunity and, and really expound on it, we can, we can find a way to um, connect through that opportunity, um, it makes all the difference in the world and how the relationship moves from that point. And so, like, what would an opportunity look like? Like you say, there's an opportunity in everything. So you have, you, you've got emotions are raging and, and you're just, you know, the kid says, well, I'm leaving home. And you say, well, okay, it, like, where's the mm-hmm. opportunity? Like what, wh- right. you say that there's an opportunity in everything. And so people, you know, uh, obviously say the wrong thing with emotions and do the right. wrong thing, stand up mm-hmm. and walk out of the room. I don't know. Um mm-hmm. But what, how right. do you how do you notice that opportunity? How do you how do well, you even um, identify question. it? Yeah, and I think what happens when we're in the throes of it, it's very hard to see. So as parents, we need to learn how to kind of unplug ourselves from that moment and try to take a bird's eye view and go, okay, what's going on here that I can look at as as a pivot point, and what. With teenagers, it, just that example that you gave, everyone's screaming and yelling and the kids like, I'm out of here. And, you know, we're like, go ahead. And, you know, in that moment, the opportunity that I see is that child still standing there fighting for their position. Mm. 
Right. So that is a kid who still wants to have a conversation, who still wants to have a relationship, who still is in the game. Interesting. And if we can look at that instead of the words, because the words are just the behavior, they're just meant to push us away. If we can dig beneath those words and understand, wow, you must really feel hurt and rejected by what I just said. That must have really hurt your feelings. I said it out of anger and I shouldn't have said it. You know, taking responsibility for, you know, we want our children to be respectful, but we don't always convey respect to them. We just expect that they're going to be respectful. But if we take a moment and say, you know what, here's where I went wrong. Here's what I want to take responsibility for. What we're doing is we're not submitting to them. We're modeling for them what it looks like when we take responsibility for behavior. Mm-hmm. And it teaches them that we don't have, you don't have, parents aren't perfect and neither are kids. It provides this, this, um, you know, kind of lights up the runway for us to have other opportunities to connect. The moment I take a step back and say, you know what, this is where I was wrong. (laughs) And I'm hoping that you can, can forgive me. Well, what a good role model. What a good role model you're being right there to show that there's some accountability left in this world that you are willing to take responsibility for your actions. And so should they, Um, Mm -hmm. because that's not the lesson that is coming through all the time today. Um, Yeah, Uh, that's that's cool. The the opportunity, because you're, you're exactly right. I mean, what do you think? I mean, when you were saying kind of that and the fact that you have children of your own and you've, you've you've been a family counselor for a while, you are kind of looking at this, especially now that your kids are grown. You're, you're saying you're stepping back and or parents could step back and take kind of a bird's eye view. But a lot of times, like when we were talking about before the, the podcast of of, you know, it's your first child. You don't know you don't know anything, you you know, Mm -hmm. and everything is new. So this first conversation, this first act of defiance, this first, whatever acting out, it's brand new by the third kid. You've seen this a hundred times, right? Right. But, But the first one, you know, you don't know what in the world to do. And, and it almost feels like, I don't know. You're so in it and you're so you're, you're looking right at at a tree instead of looking even at 10 trees or the whole forest. You seem to be looking way more, have a, have a much different perspective because of all the work that you've done and all and your own parenting. What do you Mm -hmm. think, what would you say success is as a parent? Oh, that's a great question. I think every parent may define it differently, Mm -hmm. but I also believe that it is our responsibility as parents to raise emotionally competent, mentally stable and well human beings to, you know, to kind of create the next generation of people and to parent the next generation of people. So um, I think that if, if my focus is on, you know, creating emotional competency and emotional intelligence and really cultivating that in my um, kids, I've done my job. So from where I sit and, you know, maybe I'm biased, (laughs) but I also, I believe that that is probably the most important and most lacking part of of what we're teaching our children, generally speaking, in, in our culture right now. 
Hmm. So I do think I, I do think though recently there has been a lot of um, recent information being put out in the media um, about mental health and wellness and and um, stress management with teenagers and I think it's a really important and timely. We have we have a huge crisis in our country. The suicide rates have skyrocketed. Um, anxiety and depression has skyrocketed, um, and it's all all of it is connected um, to how our children feel as they move through the world and how they um, feel connected to the people in their lives. Hmm. Really? And, and as we began the podcast saying that there's a significant lack of connection because of the internet. Um, mm-hmm. it, and I, I see it all the time. I mean, one of the things we were talking about the other day on the podcast was one thing that's missing from, from kids is, is um, boredom right now and boredom in the, in the, in the sense that we, when, when I grew up, there were three channels on television. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't tell me when I could watch TV or when I couldn't watch TV. I could watch TV anytime I wanted to. But the fact of the matter was I didn't want to watch soap operas in the middle of the day. It was, you know, or maybe, maybe you could tolerate some game show like wheel of fortune or something like that for like 15 minutes, but sooner or later there was nothing to do. And you had to go outside and go find some friends, get on your bike, ride around. I don't know, maybe even, maybe even hang out with your dog in the yard for a while. And and the next thing you know, some other kid comes by, you're inventing some sort of game because Mm -hmm. you're just sitting there with a lot of time on your hands and literally nothing to do. For right. me, that was like a creative that that helped my creative mind develop. And I just wonder, like, that is not happening that much. It was actually with the with the quarantine, you did start to see that much more. Like mm-hmm. you can play with the kids right around here, like two houses away or whatever, and you could see, I don't know, it was like a a baseball game or a kickball mm-hmm. game. Or I saw mm-hmm. it starting to happen again that that kids couldn't just do whatever they wanted to. And so they were going outside and they were playing with their brothers or sisters, or they were doing things like that. But Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just a, a, an interesting time with, with the internet and, and what seems like you're connected to everyone in the world when in fact, you're really not connected to anyone. Right. It's all superficial. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an interesting, I talk in the book, there's, there's quite a bit about boredom being sort of a risk factor for suicide. Unfortunately, in the last several years, I've noticed this trend where, you know, I used to, um, during breaks, summer breaks, spring break, um, and we have a winter break out here in Arizona, that used to be a time where my practice would really slow down and I wouldn't have a lot of work. Um, but in recent years that it's been the opposite. Um, it, it's, there's a lot more, um, kids that don't know how to handle boredom. So they engage in destructive behavior. They become suicidal. Um, they have really, um, self-harming behaviors increased during those times. Um, because they have the, the boredom kind of instills this anxiety that they don't know what to do with. And when they don't have school as a distraction, it's very difficult for kids. And I think that's why this year in the pandemic, we've seen the uh, suicide attempt rates and depression and anxiety rates skyrocket with teenagers because they have had to deal with some version of boredom. And a lot of them have a very difficult time with that. Yeah, I guess. 
Yeah, it's that it's really not the boredom that's the problem. It's how to deal with the boredom. Like yes. we were bored every day. Like right. that's just the thing. I mean, there wasn't was anything to do. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have video games. We had terrible TV shows on, on TV. <laughs> so you were just bored. So you went to well, the and creek. Tom, most of us had to watch TV as a family too. Right. You know, there was one TV isolation that kids have. They have it. Every, every kid has a TV in their room. They never have to leave there. And it creates so much isolation for kids where we think that we're giving them some sort of like um, a, a reward for being able to have their own TV. But really what it does is it isolates them and it separates them even more. Hmm. So what do you think? I mean, what kind of advice do you give people about the use of devices and the, the, the freedom that, that you give the you know kids of certain ages to, to just hibernate in their room and watch watch movies or watch YouTube or whatever, what kind of advice do you, do you give normally? Well, it's definitely easier if you start early and you use the internet as a tool rather than, um, and a privilege rather than a right. Um, I think a lot of kids think they have a right to their phone and a right to their privacy and a right to their, <laughs> to their devices. And um, when we are not a good steward of that device and we expect them to self-regulate when they're 10 and 12 years old, most kids get a phone when they're between 10 and 12 years old. You think about what you're doing to them is you're giving them this device that gives them access to the entire world. And then you're saying, Good luck. Right. <laughs> and we're hoping they handle it well. And then we're frustrated and upset when they don't. Um, I think that it's really important to understand when you're handing that device over what you're actually giving to your child and what um, and, and not having any parental controls or parameters in place is really, really dangerous. Um, I think with teenagers, once that chip has failed and they're used to having everything be theirs, um, I think it's a lot harder to pull it back then. Um, but I think for a lot of kids, it's really necessary because they do um, they do have um, a hard time self-regulating and self-managing. Just about every app that's been developed, all those gaming apps were developed by people who specialize in addiction. Yeah. They were, they were developed by people who who build slot machines. Um, so I'm telling you that they were built for addiction. So we are basically, you know, as the brain is developing and growing, we are basically making addiction part of that brain's architecture. And it's so important to understand that um, it's, you know, taking it away completely is not reasonable. You know, devices are here to stay. But I think having a healthy relationship with those devices is so important. And that means that we have to be unpopular as parents. Sometimes mm. that means we have to say, no, even if our friends, parents, let them do such and such, it doesn't mean that that's what you need to do for your child. The other thing is as parents, I think it's super important that we model right. healthy behavior with our devices. So many parents are on their devices all the time, but they want their kids to get off. Right. And there's um, a, there's a weird mm -hmm. little, little thing there because a lot of parents make their living on their phone, especially today with the, after the pandemic, like they are capable of working anywhere. They're capable of working anytime. It lends itself to more time with the family, 
but they're on the phone all the time. And yes, they're making a living and yes, they're providing for their family, but the kid doesn't see it that way. The kid right. doesn't see that that's any different trading stocks or, 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 or answering emails that that's mm-hmm. any different than scrolling Instagram. That's what the kid sees. And it, and I'm bad like that because, mm-hmm. you know, the internet is really important to my business and, and right. I need to be checking on some things. And a lot of, there's a lot of times there are people waiting like in the edit or something for me to watch something and say, okay, well, this is not what we need. We need to go this direction or this is good. Keep going. And I'm holding up a whole bunch of people uh, mm-hmm. waiting for this answer. But it happens to be dinner time, mm-hmm. and I'm telling the kids that they can't have phones. But why can I have a phone? And I know mm-hmm. that 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 I've been hypocritical and bad about that. What do you? What's the advice there? Like when that's your business, and you know how how do you model that behavior for your child for your children? Well, I think that's a great question because I think a lot of us work from home, and a lot of us are on call, and all of those kinds of things. It's hard to turn it off. But I think um, it's super important that we send the message that if dinner time is what you expect your child to show up and participate and have joy in their heart and be engaged, then you don't get to get your phone out at dinner. Right. <laughs> That's just all there is to well, it. I mean, but how you do you ever expect your child to do something if if you, you know, like, don't do what I do, do what I say? Like that's not a, that's not a good approach. I don't, I don't know. I don't, or maybe it's a good approach for some people, but it doesn't seem to work for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, right. And I think, and I think our kids are always watching us and we are, we are sort of their sounding board for how the world works. So if we're telling them one thing and we're doing another, it doesn't, it degrades their trust in us. Mm -hmm. It gets them to a point where they don't understand, like they don't, always believe they can trust what we have to say if we're not being congruent. Mm. Wow. And that's a really hard one. That, that is a really hard no, one because it when really it's hard being a grown up, isn't it? It is. It's, it's hard being a grown up and then it, then it's really hard being a parent um, mm-hmm. because all of these things are, I mean, it's just such a new world and it's just changing so very fast um, with, with, with technology and stuff. You know, an interesting thing before we move on to another subject, um, with my oldest son, you know, he's 23. So this was, this was, uh, what, 17, 18 years ago. And video games were, they were probably not as advanced as they are today. Yes. They were probably being built by the same people that build slot machines and the, the colors and everything were designed for, you know, getting a kid to play longer. I think today mm-hmm. it's taken, it's, it's a whole different universe of, of, of that mm-hmm. going on, but he wanted to play video games all the time. Like that's just what he wanted. And for whatever reason, we just thought, no, video games are not good. So we're going to, this is where we're going to draw the line in the sand. You're not going to, we're not going to have video games until you get to a certain age or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, meanwhile, his kid, his friends all had video games. So the only thing he wanted to do when he went to his friend's house was play video games. And because mm-hmm. it was kind of taboo, he was drawn to it and he wanted to play so bad. Now, mm-hmm. meanwhile, his little brother, finally we gave in. We, we, we say, okay, we'll, we'll get the gaming system because I see what's going on here. You're going over to your friend's house and now you're totally withdrawn over there. All you're doing is playing their video games. They don't even want you to come over anymore because you're not 
doing what you were planning on doing. They're going swimming and you're inside playing video games. That's not good. So we saw that and we were like, okay, we need to somehow moderate this and allow it to an extent. And so, and then finally he was pretty responsible with the use of them after we had them. But Mm -hmm. my younger son, he's always had video games around. He could play all the time. His older brother was like, Hey, let's play video games. And he would play a little bit, but it was never something that was taboo to him. It was never something that was off limits. It was never something that even had a limit. And guess what? He didn't even want to play. Right. He didn't even, he didn't even care. He would play a little bit, but then he's like, this is boring. Let's go do something else. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like it was because we kept it from my older son you know, mm-hmm. and, and drew this hard line and you can't do this. And you can say that about junk food. You can say that about, about sugar. You can say that about certain behaviors or, or drinking or whatever. Mm-hmm. If it's just so off limits and so taboo, why is it the kids want to do that so bad? Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Like, that's what they want to do, though. Yeah, because it... it gets them it it's it like puts them into a different gear and if you have a child who's got any version of oppositional behavior that's exactly where they're heading yeah to the exact <laughs> extreme of what of what you're asking of them um and i think i think that's part of it is um but i also think that kids learn that you know video games become kind of their pacifier in a way and um they don't have to deal with anything and it becomes sort of their cocktail at the end of the night and so that you know some people can have a cocktail every night and not become alcoholics mm-hmm. but other people can't have a cocktail every night because they become alcoholics so you have to really understand that there is it's a very precarious um a situation when your child is is sort of trying to navigate all of this, um, but it also it boils down to self regulation, and it also boils down to connection because most a lot of parents will tell me their kids will be gaming and then they're so crabby and they're so difficult after they've been gaming all day. Um, lots of that has to do with they've had no other stimuli, <laughs> uh, they haven't probably been eating well all day. Mm-hmm. They've just been eating, you know, snacks and garbage all day, and so. Um, you know, I think sitting down and really talking about that with them, not from the point of an authoritarian role, but really saying, you know, notice how you feel after you're playing these games. Like you, you keep saying you have a headache or, wow, it seems like you're really cranky. Like, do you think that has to do with it? And, you know, trying to get them to have some connections between how they feel and what they're engaging in will really help them understand how they feel about everything moving forward, but just in gaming in general, um, when they're around certain people, you really want them to be able to kind of tune into how they feel about certain situations. And I'm seeing so many, so many kids that just don't have a sense of their own intuition and what they need anymore. Right. It seems like, you know, going back to something that you said before, like when you take your kids camping or, or fishing for the weekend and they're going to kick and scream and be resistant to it at first, when you're talking about, look, I mean, 
You've been sitting on the yeah. Of course, you don't feel good. You've been sitting on the couch eating potato chips all day. When's the last time you've had a meal? When's the last right. time you had any water? You've been drinking the monster energy drink or whatever right. all day mm-hmm. long. Yes, of course you mm-hmm. feel terrible. Well, mm-hmm. they're not gonna. They're they may be listening and they may hear you, but they're mm-hmm. not. <laughs> they're not gonna just go. You know what? You're right. You're right, Dad. I'm not going to drink Monster Energy drink anymore. I'm not going to eat these potato chips. I'm going to have a paleo meal like you do, and I'm going. <laughs> they're not going to do that. They're just not going to do that. It may be a couple of years later that they're mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't eat that junk food anymore. You're like, well, why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just figured it made me feel bad. Well, something that you said got through. So, mm-hmm. do you just have to continue to reinforce that and continue to try to? lead by example and try to show them that, look, I feel great. Yeah. I ate a great meal and I don't, I don't know. Absolutely. I think modeling it, it makes the best is makes the most influence on our kids. And you may not see it in the moment, but you know, I think it's important to also understand how did those chips get into the house? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. The monster get into the house. Why do we have ding dongs in the pantry? Like, why is that all there? You know, part of it is we also as parents have to understand what we're doing to co-create this situation as well. Um, And, you know, I do think that kids need to have some ability to self-regulate with food and things like that. But I, I also hear from so many parents that they're so tired of what their kids are eating all day, but yet they provided all of the snacks. Right. So I think it's really important to think about that. It is. It is super important. And it's also probably, probably important, just like the, (laughs) and it's funny, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but just like the gaming situation with my oldest son, we kept a really clean kitchen. We didn't have any junk food in the house for a long time. And I just felt like, you know, the kids are going to, they're going to, they're going to get this stuff eventually, you know, at school or somewhere mm-hmm. else. Why do we need to introduce them to it? Like, mm-hmm. why, we, we just don't need to have it around. Well, every time that well, it's a funny joke with my, my friend who uh, is the father of one of my son's friends. But every time my son would go over to their house, he would go straight into the pantry and he would just start hoarding all of their <laughs> junk food. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he yeah. never had a chance to get it. So right. there's got to be some kind of balance there. And mm-hmm. it just seems like maybe maybe my kids are really have that oppositional behavior or whatever deep within their DNA, which wouldn't surprise me any at all because they come mm-hmm. from a long line of those type of people. But mm-hmm. when when you just say, no, you can't have this. Right. That's what they want. So when it came to other things like drinking and stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't do that. I was careful with that. I was like, well, I right. see what happened with the junk food. So mm-hmm. what if we just said, you know, oh, drinking? Yeah, no, no problem. You know, like whatever. Not like you, here's here's a case of beer. Go have fun. But just didn't right. make a big deal about it. Right. right. And like it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? They they didn't they didn't gravitate to that. I don't right. know. That's one of those things where you just kind of, I think you, you, it, it's, it's probably very personal kid to kid, what's going to work and what's not going to work. And, you know, but I think it all goes back to your, the connection that you have, that emotional connection that you have with your child and you know who they are. If you know who they are at the core and they know who you are at the core, you, there's so much more to work with. Mm. If we don't understand where our kids are at from an emotional place, we're not going to be able to read that well. Right. 
Right. Well, all of that, I mean, I love all of what you're saying. And a lot of it comes down to personal responsibility, I think. Can I just um, say one more thing, yeah. though, Tom? Because I sure. think this is a good tip that everyone's going to go, oh, this <laughs> is how I used to get my, my son in the woods away from his video games. We would go camping. We had in-laws that had a cabin. And I'd say, well, we're going up to the cabin. Let's go get all the junk food you would like for the weekend. And that's <laughs> how I would get him. He could pick out whatever he wanted and it could go up to the cabin, but we didn't have a lot of junk in our house. Yeah. So he's looking forward to that. And he, and he does, that was what we did. Um, and what I've suggested on this podcast, lots of times when you're taking kids fishing is give them the opportunity to have something that they don't get at home, whether that's Mm -hmm. an ice cream bar or some type of candy or something that is, is something that they don't get at home. And you only get that on the boat. And, right. you know, I mean, it might be that one little thing that gets them excited well, think about, about going. Kids right. always think about camping oh, yeah. and s'mores, s'mores right? right? Yeah. Yeah. When are you feeding your kids s'mores at home? Well, I don't know. They have like s'more cereal now. You can, eat, you can, uh, it, it, people feed their kids s'mores for breakfast, uh, but you're not supposed to. And it's not a good practice, but, but that is something that we would do. And I would be like, you know, first of all, you, you know, take a nice lunch, have some things that they don't normally get and mm-hmm. celebrate it like this is a special day here you can have right. uh whatever have whatever this is today. yeah mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. and that does that does work because if you can just get them to be even as excited enough about going to the cabin or to going to the boat or going wherever you're going and maybe it is that one little treat that gets them excited about it then you know oh cool there's stuff there's cool stuff in the live well and i can play in the in the live well i can play with all the bait you know like we use these we cast net uh these little pilchards they're like three inches long and the live well is it's like an aquarium and the Mm -hmm. kids can put their hands in there they can't put their hands Mm -hmm. in a regular aquarium and they Mm -hmm. love it and some some parents would would say to me like uh man i just want my kid to fish so bad but all they want to do is play in the live well i'm like let them play in the live well that's awesome yeah that's appetizer to fishing. Yeah. A couple of years from now, they're going to want to catch the bait to put in the live well. And then they're going to, they're going to put it all together and they're going to be like, Oh, I love this. But I was always happy with my kids playing with the bait in the live well, like whatever, man, Mm -hmm. you're out here with me. And that is, that's awesome. We're together. We're having fun. If you're, if your idea of having fun is playing in the live well, I'm all for it, man. Play in the live well, kill all the bait. I don't care what you do. Like just, just, it's going to, you know, that's what it's for. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's, that's kind of cool. Well, I I know we're, we're getting close here, but I want to talk, um, about your work with professional athletes too, because you've worked with, with a lot of different teams and professional athletes. How did, how did that start for you? Well, um, I am a licensed substance abuse counselor. And so I had a lot of referrals over time of, um, for some reason in Arizona, there's a lot of athletes that retire out here. And, um, it's warm. I think, um, they were referred to me lots of times because they had addiction to painkillers initially, or they had traumatic brain injuries that they were trying to recover from. Um, But what I found is a lot of these athletes in a lot of ways were extreme teenagers. They were very gifted. Um, They were treated very like special kids their whole lives. Um, They were and and they didn't have a lot of um, of self-efficacy. They would um, they were told what to eat. They were told how to exercise. They were told when to sleep. They didn't even have an internal understanding of how all of that works. 
And then, you know, they have this very successful career that's that's big and they're making all this money. You know, they go from being this poor athlete to making over a million dollars a year, but they have all of these people relying on them. So they do have a lot of complicated pressure around that. And they don't know how to handle all of those changes in such a short period of time. And then when they get injured and released from the team, they go through a very significant depression. Um, many of them um, really don't even know how to do life, period. Mm. Um, a lot of my time was really spent teaching them the life skills that they never had when they were younger because they never had to clean up the dishes because they were always at practice. They never had to do chores. They never had to be a part of the family in any way, shape or form because they were these very special athletes that were always being taken care of by somebody else. Um, So the downside to that is they didn't know really how to live an everyday life, how to have a morning routine. (laughs) A lot of my athletes, when they would get released, would gain a whole lot of weight that first year. They would lay on the couch and eat Oreos all day because they were never allowed to do that. So they had sort of this delayed adolescence that they um, were kind of living um, for a bit until they realized that wasn't very healthy for them. (laughs) And then they had to figure out how to, you know, get up in the, every morning and have a routine and how to cook dinner and how to change light bulbs. And it's so all of bizarre. That. It really is so bizarre when you think about this person that you've been watching on television for years and they just seem like such a superstar, but they don't even know how to change a light bulb. They don't mm-hmm. even know. They've never even been to the grocery store by themselves. Right. Like That is such a bizarre idea. Mm-hmm. That that well, it's bizarre, Tom, and for them, it's also very embarrassing. Right, they have no you know, idea what not, they're doing. Right, mm-hmm. is that where a lot of them get these hanger-on kind of people that end up bankrupting them because they've got yeah, forty people entourage. hanging around? Yeah. yeah, because they they've never you know they've always had somebody to defer to to tell them what to do. They've never had to think for themselves. So a lot of them surround themselves with people that tell them what to do. And when you're, when you have a lot of money and not a lot of common sense, you surround yourself with the wrong people. You know what um, this reminds me of? Did you see uh, Trevor Lawrence come out? Do you know who Trevor Lawrence is? He's a, mm-hmm. he's a quarterback uh, and he's a really uh, talented quarterback. And um, he came out on somewhere and he was, he said something to the, to the effect that, you know, football wasn't the most important thing to him and that he, he had other things in his life and the media just persecuted him for this, what he said. And I thought, man, what an opportunity that would have been to, to be the other way. Like, look at this great quarterback who obviously has discipline and work ethic and is very talented and he's going to be in the pros and he's doing great, but yet he considers himself a son, a brother of whatever. And, and he has other things in his life that he's interested in. I mean, that should have been celebrated it rather than, mm-hmm. than what, like this guy doesn't think that football is everything. Right. And, and that's what, that's, that was the result. And he even had to kind of come back and say, well, I don't mean to say that I'm not excited about the next steps in football. It's just that if it doesn't work out, I got lots of things that I like to do in my life. Mm-hmm. And again, even when he came back and said something, it wasn't a a very good reception by the media, which I found really, 
like a bad message today. Right. But I also think that that also has to do with, you know, his truthfulness and his narrative did not match what they right. wanted his image to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, or, or the media, the, right? the, the team is probably like, well, aren't we glad we got this guy? He's solid. Like he's not mm-hmm. going to self-destruct. He's right. got a family and a, and, and other things that he's interested in in his life. That probably means that he's going to be a, a pretty solid player. Right. Right. Or, or solid mm-hmm. individual or solid leader on the team where, I don't know. I just, that, that rubbed me kind of the wrong way of uh, today that, that you have so many, like, what were you saying before, um, before the podcast, you were saying there was a statistic about how many, um, professional athletes oh, yeah. go broke. 90%, 90% of professional athletes go broke in their first 10 years. Wow. In their first 10 years After out of, been, out of been released when they've been released from the NFL now, or, or from sports, professional right. sports, but the NFL, um, actually has started to really work with their, um, athletes on, um, fiscal responsibility and how to manage their money. Um, they have programs that they put them through now, which I think is really, um, really good and helpful uh, sure. because a lot of times, you know, that the, the you know, the NFL also stands for, I don't know if you've heard this, not for long. <laughs> um, so that, so that athletes, that's sort of what they remember, like this could be over in a year. So I really have to make sure that I'm taking care of this money and I'm a good steward of this money. Right. It's really not that hard either. If you, I mean, when you're dealing with amounts of money that you're hearing about, even to put 20% of that, away mm-hmm. in something you would never have to worry about anything if you mm-hmm. if you invested it properly but it's i don't know bad advice but and, we're talking about young men who don't even know how to make dinner right. <laughs> and yeah. we're expecting them to be stewards of their fortune you know and so it's it's an unreasonable expectation and they don't have the skill set to manage it so are you able have you been able to in your career to to help um, athletes like that, that you see are, are headed down this road of, of, of destruction and, and, you know, lack of personal accountability. Have you been able to help some? Well, it's interesting because lots of times I get them after they've fallen. That's where they, when they show up at my door, um, when their marriage is falling apart or, you know, they're in rehab for the third time, or, um, they've had so many surgeries and they're in so much pain and they're addicted to pain meds and they're not, they can't even carry their children up the steps. And, um, so I've seen kind of the downside of professional sports and what it's done to some people. Um, and it's a very, it's a very difficult thing to be 25 years old and on full disability because of all your injuries from sports and, and have to live the rest of your life. Um, that's a lot, that's a lot to have to deal with and wrestle with. Um, and it creates a lot of problems within the marriage because all of a sudden, you know, my husband's not this superstar. We're not going to parties every weekend. We don't, you know, we're not in the club anymore. Um, and we have to, you know, really be careful about our money. Um, there's a, there's a lot of different things that happen within, um, after an athlete is athlete is released and, and how they acclimate to living everyday life is, is really important. It's really important to have a sounding board that's healthy and well and stable, because if you don't, that's when people end up really self-destructing. 
Yeah, I mean, you've seen it so many times. It's not even in, not even important to to bring up any names. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening can think of ten people that that come to mind immediately that uh, mm-hmm. that this is this has happened to, and it almost happens. The same kind of thing happens to uh, to a lottery winner too. That that has they've never um, made that kind of money. So that they're, they're like these milestones that you, that you achieve as you're making money and, and achieving wealth over time. And you're used to this lifestyle and then you're used to this lifestyle and you're used to this lifestyle. And then you're used to having uh, a big paycheck and taking and well, and just knowing, well, uh, no, that's, you know, somebody looks at the check and they're like, Oh wow. Like, what are you going to do? Buy a, buy a Tesla? No, mm-hmm. no, I only get a small percentage of that. The rest of it goes over here and here and here and here. And then mm-hmm. you're living below your means. I mean, even the act of living below your means is something that a lot of people are, are, are unfamiliar with. And that's mm-hmm. what seems to happen to lottery winners is they don't, they're not, they're not, um, you know, used to any of these benchmarks and all of a sudden they go from here to here and then they find themselves almost exactly back where they, they were before, which is is Mm -hmm. a strange thing. It's almost like that's, that's like a psychological thing that they, that they go back to making almost exactly the same amount of money that they made before because that's where they were comfortable and Mm -hmm. all this money comes in and it's almost like they just get rid of it as fast as, as, as possible, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but anyway, I don't know that's, I don't want to end this on such a downer, uh, (laughs) of, of watching professional athletes and heroes Uh that you have self-destruct, but not, not every one of them does that. And many do get really good advice. Uh, I see, you know, I get the ones that are really floundering, but what I will say is if they have a purpose following sports, you know, that's what Trevor Lawrence was talking about. I'm not just an athlete. I'm a father. I'm a son. Uh, you know, I'm a teacher, whatever, however that person defines themselves. That's a lot of what I do is help them define their purpose <laughs> so that they can define the next chapter of their life and, and have the pen in their hand. You know, up until that moment, somebody else has been writing the book. And in that, in this next moment, they get to be in charge of what happens and helping them understand that's a good thing and not a bad thing. Right. Is sometimes tricky. Wow. That'll be our next podcast that we can do together is, is how to define your purpose because you hear that so much right now. You got to know your why you got to know your purpose. You got to, and, and, and even people like, you know, of this audience ask me like, how do you know that? And, and it's like, well, I mean, some time with introspection and, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just know, but then you're like, I don't know if that's the best advice. Like, I don't know is, because even even if you do know your your purpose and your why and you have a good purpose, sometimes that's fluid and it changes and 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 you mm-hmm. you you determine okay well I have this purpose and yes that is definitely something I want to do that in my life but I also see that this is really important over here and now you have two two things which can right. kind of compete with one another and that's a strange place to be but I'd like to I'd like to talk with you about that at another time. Um, so if we were to close this out with um, with some advice to parents. Um, what, what, what do you, what do you say is, is the, the way that you can kind of connect with your kids, but also use it as a, as a checkup for where your relationship is? Like how, how do you best kind of check in on your kids and, and realize where your relationship is? Maybe it's, maybe it's great. Maybe it's awesome. And for a lot of the people listening to this podcast, it probably is because they go out on the boat on the weekends and they're spending a lot of time together, but Mm -hmm. you know, 
teenagers are hard, no matter how mm-hmm. perfect they are. Uh, <laughs> but how would you, what would well, you, what would you leave yeah. us with? I think that's a great question, Tom, because I think the most important things when my kids have, have told me the most important moments for them have been when I have come into their world. So I've come into their room and laid on their floor next to their dirty socks and said, how are you? Like, What's going on? Tell me what's going on for you today. And I want to be a part of who they, what's going on in their world. I come in without an agenda, prescribed agenda, but really just understanding who they are in that moment, what they need from me, what, how they feel about being in the world on that particular day. And I do that on with my kids. I did it on a daily basis. I would check in with them at certain points in time, not only when I was angry with them or they didn't do a chore or they were in trouble, but really in a very neutral, very, um, calm and neutral time. I would just want to be in their world and make an effort to see them um, in in a very organic way. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it does, I guess their world sometimes is their bedroom. Maybe it's sitting down in the gaming room, you know, mm-hmm. or wherever they're oh, the yeah. most, Have you ever most played comfortable. Video games? <laughs> Have you ever tried to play video oh, games? Yeah, with I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's fun. And they're so excited to try and teach you and tell you what they're doing and what they're not doing. And I hate video games. I cannot stand video games. But that was a way that I would connect with my son. I'd be like, hey, or he'd go to the bathroom and I'd like control his game for a little while. And his friends would be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'd say, oh, Chris, I think I screwed it up. And it would be funny. You know, my mom was on, you know, (laughs) it would be for him. It was part of me, me being in his world. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting if you can get a kid to try to teach you something that that mm-hmm. tends to go a long way. But um, OK, well, um, man, I learned a lot and I ha- it made me uh, have even more questions. So I hope that we can do another podcast uh, yeah, in the future. But uh, yeah, I wish you all the very best with your with your book, uh, The Bravo Effect. Where can people get that? Um, you can find it on Amazon.com. Amazon.com, the Bravo um, effect. Uh huh. Barnes and Noble, and you can get it on Kindle. Okay. Mm-hmm. And do you have social media or can people follow you there? I do. Um, my uh, website is thebravoeffect.com. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Dr. Lisa Bravo with the Bravo effect and uh, a lot of good advice for us parents and uh, probably prospective parents because it is a a precarious world to navigate right now, if you ask me. But uh, thank you very much for being on the show and and uh, all your good advice. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me, Tom. You're very welcome. All right. See you. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.